Welcome to the family. Hey, I'll tell you what, this morning I believe that is going to be the measure of our whole service. I believe that we in America, we have the idea that everything is temporary. We have lost sight of the idea of eternal or we've twisted it to, uh, to take away any true meaning whatsoever. This morning I want to talk to you about eternal life. I want to talk to you about the security of a believer, the perseverance of the saints, whatever you want to call this doctrine. I want to talk to you about once saved, always saved. We touched on this a little bit last week in the Mother's Day uh, service, and uh, we talked about how the Lord protects his own. I want to talk to you a little bit more uh, in depth today on a, a certain couple of scriptures. And I want to go to the Bible and ask the question, uh, is it true that once a person is saved, are they always saved? What about a person that is supposedly saved when they're 13, 14 years old or even 6 years old? And then they wander away from the Lord and never turn back and then they die. Are they saved? How many times have you been to a funeral and they're holding on to that hope, that little straw? Well, I think that they said this prayer one time when they were 5 and they were 85. And they never looked at the Lord again. What about that person? Is that, what does that have to do with this? I, I want to talk about some of those difficult things today. I want to talk about some of those, in my mind, some of those things that we can rejoice over today uh, when we talk about the security of a believer. Or in other words, the fact that a, a, a believer is safe. Thank you, sir. He is secure. Oh, won't you give Wesley a hand? He has really worked hard today. Now, I say that uh, Trip Lee, you ever heard of Trip Lee? Anybody ever heard of Trip Lee? Trip Lee is a Christian rapper. And uh, he's got some good stuff out. You know, some of you are like, Christian rap? Those two go together? Well, there is such a thing as Christian rap. And it's actually got really good theology, a lot of it anyway. But uh, some church somewhere has their Trip Lee, but we've got our Crip Lee. Hey, good job, Crip Lee. Uh, hey, that man really does love Jesus, though, and uh, he wants to give it all he's got. And I know he's seeing Christ even through a clearer lens. But uh, the McClure family's got a lot going on right now with uh, Wesley's surgery and some other things. So pray for them. Lift them up. A lot of you got a lot of things going on right now. So let's remember to pray for each other. Today, as we get into the scripture, we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 8. Verses, and we'll see how far we get. This, this sermon, uh, verses 26, Romans, a couple of weeks. But we're going to look today at verses 26, Romans chapter 8, verses 26 through 39. 26 through the end of the chapter. We won't spend as much time on those first few verses. Well, we'll see what the Lord does. But as we do on the last few verses, because I think that Romans chapter 8, in my opinion at least, is probably the most whole chapter in all of Scripture. Meaning that if you go to Romans 8, you can see the whole Christian life and the truths of Christian life all in one chapter of the Bible. It talks about the beginning all the way down to the end, how the Lord will keep you. It talks about the middle. It talks about how we are to face adversity, how we are to face sufferings, how we are to feel about those things. So if you've never read the, the chapter, uh, Romans chapter 8 with any real uh, study time or any real time or effort, then please go and do that because this is, in my opinion, one of the best and most full chapters uh, of the whole Bible, Romans chapter 8. But today what I want to look at is 
the security of the believer as it is taught in Romans chapter 8. Uh, are we once saved, always saved? Can we lose our salvation? Now, a, a lot of people think differently about this, and a lot of people say well, it would be silly to think that you couldn't lose your salvation. What if you just don't want to be saved anymore? Uh, what, if, what if you fall into sin, and does that mean don't you have to be doing things a certain way? Uh, others say that if you tell someone that once they're saved, they're always saved, then that's a free card to sin all that they want to and still not have to suffer the ramifications or the, the problems that that brings with it, the consequences. So it's almost like you give people a sin-free card. You can sin all you want to now that you've prayed your prayer. And I think that is a manipulation of a good doctrine. So today I want to open up the Bible and see what does the Bible teach about the security of the believer or the perseverance of the saints. Before we do that, let me pray and ask that the Lord would lead us and guide us and that this wouldn't just be a teaching sermon or something that you would learn and say, oh, well, I didn't know that, but something that you would say, oh, I can live in that. And that strengthens my faith and it affects me as I walk out my Christianity. Not just a good sermon you hear or a sermon that you hear, but something that is applied to your life, and now you can walk better as Jesus, okay, as Jesus would. Jesus, I thank you so much for already being here today. I already know that you have blessed my heart, that you have blessed many here. We already have Abigail who has come to be saved today. Lord Jesus, I pray that she would, that she would uh, fall into your arms, God. I pray for her, Lord, that this day would be the marking day of the rest of her life when she was saved beyond doubt, God, that you have washed her from all of her sins, Lord, that you have given her a new heart and a new life. You have taken out the old, and behold, the new has come. Be with her, Lord, as she goes throughout this life and as she starts this new journey. It will not be easy. Lord God, it will be rather difficult in this world but I pray that you would hold her and that you would keep her. Put good people in her life, God, godly people. Lord, those who love Jesus, that would lead her and direct her and help her in times of need. I pray for her, God. I pray for us. I pray, Lord, that we would examine our heart to see whether or not we be in the faith. And, Lord, if we, if we have those evidences, God, if we know that you are in our heart, that we would rest, God. That we would no longer be a slave to fear, but we would understand that we are children of God. And if children of God, heirs according to the promise. Be with the sermon today. Be with your word as it goes forth. May it not return void. Cover your speaker. Cover your preacher. That he would not let his own sin or his own inabilities to muddy the waters. Paint us a clear picture today, O oh God. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're in Romans chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 26. We're going through verse 39 or as far as we can get. Let's look at Romans chapter 8 starting in verse uh, 16 leading up to 26. And we're going to look and unpack 26 a little bit and uh, thereon. For I consider, this is Romans eight sixteen. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy, are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to or in us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, 
but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now I want you to see that language there. We what? We were saved. Okay? We were saved. Now he continues on. He says, now hope that is seen is no hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait. We wait for it with patience. Now listen here is where we're going to start really unpacking. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Key word. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. We don't know what to pray for like we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. I'm going to stop right there. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. Now, Paul is said to be one of the most hard-to-understand men of the Scriptures. Even Peter said, you know that Paul who teaches these, these hard doctrines. So sometimes when we're reading, if we don't take the time to read it or if we don't have a little bit of help, we can read right through something. We can say, oh, okay, well, that's good. I don't really know what that means, but that's good. Now let's get to the next one that I might be able to understand, right? Any of you ever feel that way? Well, y'all better than me because I feel that way sometimes when I'm the preacher, right? So I want to break down a little bit right here and show you exactly what he's talking about and how this relates to once saved, always saved. Because in my mind, if I have the idea that, well, maybe I'm not always saved once I'm saved and maybe I could lose my salvation, then doesn't that make me, automatically, doesn't it make me rub my hands? Doesn't it make me say, oh, man, I don't know. Have I done enough today to to still be saved? Have I done something so bad that I've stepped out of my salvation and now I'm not saved? What about suicide? You don't have an opportunity to repent after suicide. What about when I make a mistake and I fall and then I have an accident? Is it, is it, is salvation, is it something that's based on the strength of those who have it, who have it? Or is it based on the strength of the one who gave it? Is your salvation based on your strength to keep it or his strength to keep you in it? These are the questions that need to be asked. Now, we're going to get to a section in this scripture that I think just blows the whole argument out of the water and basically says, yes, this is how it is. We're going to get there in a second. But what I want to do is I want to start in verse 26, and I want to just point out a few things to you. 
It says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Now, what does this say? Likewise, he helps us in our, come on, he helps us in our, in our weakness. So does the Lord know that you're weak? Do you think the Lord in all of his foresight, in all of his wisdom, in all of his omniscience, do you think that the Lord knows that you're going to fall? Does he know that you're going to be weak? Come on, let's make this a two-way street. Does he know that you're going to fail? Doesn't he know all things? You see, he says, for we know, for we know, listen to this. He says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray. We don't even know how to pray. I hear people come up to me and they say, preacher, I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you do it. I don't, I don't either. I'm going to tell you right now, if you think I got it all figured out, you're crazy. There goes a day at a time. And when I fall myself into sin, yep, I fall into sin too. When I fall into sin, here now is what I'm faced with. I'm faced with how can I get up in front of the whole congregation knowing that I've got sin in my life that I'm going to tell them not to do. If it was up to me, then this is what I'd have to do. Peace. Because see, I can't preach out of my own righteousness just like you can't live out of your own righteousness. You can't trust and have peace out of your own righteousness. It does not work that way. Did you choose to come into Christ? Honestly. Honestly. Outside of him showing himself to you, would you have chose him? I hear people all the time say, well, my life was straightened out when I found Christ. No, your life was straightened out when he found you. You wasn't even looking for him. Romans chapter 3 says that there are none righteous, no, not one. There are none who seek him. You see, you get no credit for your salvation, and you get no credit for the keeping of your salvation. But this is great news. This is great news because how many of you know that you're all jacked up? The rest of you are jacked up liars, okay? And you didn't raise your hand. You see, I know I'm messed up. I know I'm messed up. I am a sinner. And let me tell you something right now. Say amen if you agree with this. The more I come to know Christ and the closer I get to God, the more of the Holy Spirit I see and the more of Jesus I experience, the bigger of a sinner I realize I am. Amen. So then, therefore, is it harder for us to stay saved the closer we get to Christ? Because the closer we get to Christ, the more of a sinner we realize we are. The things revealed by the darkness start to come forward in the light. And Christ is the light, so the closer you get, the brighter it gets. You see, if I'm standing, in, well, we went camping the other night, okay? A couple of, of guys that should have showered before we went. I'm serious, too. No. It was, it was pitch black dark. We were having a good time. You know, we were in the dirt and playing and building fires. And uh, they didn't want to use a lighter, you know. Some guy was, was trying to start it with a flint, you know. And uh, Mike Byers is like, I, I, I got some lighter fluid and a lighter. Or something, a fire brick and a lighter. I know we're going to do this. Having fun that night, I didn't realize anything. 
I didn't realize I went to sleep. I slept in one of those hammocks. It was nice. I thought, I'm good. You know what, you know what I was like when I got up? In the, you know what? I'll tell you what. When I came home, you know what my wife did? She looked at me, first words out of her mouth. You stink. Well, I knew I smelled probably like a fire. But actually, when I looked in the mirror, I had like dirt down my face. My, I, I had a big ketchup stain. You know, we didn't really can. We had hot dogs. and I had a big ketchup stain down my shirt. I had dirt all over me, sweating. Nasty. Well, I didn't realize last night I was having fun. And everybody that was surrounding me, they stunk too, right? So I get home, and it's daytime now. It's in the light. I'm standing there, and Heather's like, hmm. Right? That's why we need to be around godly people. So they can tell us how bad we stink. I'm not even kidding. You know? Blessed is the man who, right, does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Remember that sermon? We need to walk with people who are smelling pretty good. So they can tell us that we stink. The bottom line is this. You see, I know I have faults. I know I have failures. And the closer I get to Christ, the more failures I realize I have. Because the closer you get to perfection, the more imperfections you see. This is not true just of me or of you, but it's also true with the Apostle Paul. I'm not going to take it all the scriptures, but actually when the Apostle Paul became a Christian, he simply said, I'm the least of the apostles. I'm the least of the apostles. Well, the farther along that Paul got in his faith, he said later on down the road as he got farther along in his faith and as he got closer to Christ and he was becoming a minister for a longer amount of time, he said, I am the least of these brothers. I am the least of these. So it started out, I am the least of all the preachers or the, or the apostles, the top guys who really love the Lord. I'm the least of this, this group up here. Then the farther along he got, he said, well, actually, I'm the least of this group down here. Did anybody know what he ended on in one of his last books? I'm the chief of sinners. I'm the worst of them all. You see, we all have sin in our life. We all have things going on. There is no perfection outside of Christ now on this side of eternity. You see, we all have weaknesses, but the Lord knows what weaknesses we have. It says right here in the Scripture, He says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray uh, as we ought to, but the Spirit Himself inter intercedes with groanings too deep for words. So He's telling us here, He's like, When you become a Christian, I'm not making you perfect. I am setting you on the path to perfection. And this path to perfection is often hard to see because of your ignorance. You don't even know to ask me which way to go. So I am going to ask him to show you in your ignorance which way you should go. You see, the Bible says that Jesus holds all things together by the word of his mouth. If you've been trying to hold yourself together only to find yourself falling apart, there is your problem. I can't hold myself together. You can't keep it together. Jesus Christ holds us together. We're weak. Aren't we weak? I'm weak. You're weak. We need Christ to hold us together. It says there that he, that he intercedes for us. You see, he is speaking and working on our behalf. It says, for we do not know what to, uh, what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches uh, the hearts knows what is in the mind because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Listen to this. We need to put these two together. 
He goes on, he says, and we know that for those who love God, all things what? 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 Work together. So he knows that we don't know even how to pray. So the Lord is speaking for us on our behalf. And he knows that we're struggling and we can't make heads or tails of this world. So he's working all things together. So he's speaking on our behalf and he's working on our behalf. You see, we walk around in our Christianity thinking, the Lord doesn't love me anymore. I'm a failure. The Lord says, I know I need to love you that much more because you're a failure. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. For you to say, oh, I've fallen in sin. God doesn't love me anymore. Is for you to say, God never knew that I was going to do this. It was a surprise to him. For he knows. He already knew. Now, is this, a, is this permission to sin? Absolutely not. All it is is an admission that he's good despite our sin. You see, all of these things are working together. God speaking on our behalf, the Holy Spirit speaking and, and interceding for us with groanings too deep for words. You see, he is speaking to the Father, and he knows exactly what we need. Our inmost being are groaning as we want to be who God has called us to be, but our flesh is crying out against us. So we have this war, and Paul speaks of this war uh, later on. He says in Ephesians, he says, uh, the, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. Who then will set me free from this body of death? As a matter of fact, that's Romans chapter 7. I'm sorry. It's not Ephesians. Romans chapter 7. Then comes into Romans chapter 8, and he says, Christ will set me free, then therefore, what Wesley quoted, then therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of death, of life in Christ has set you free from the law of sin and death. You see, we all struggle. We all have sin in our life. There's always a war going on. The question is, are you fighting it? Those who don't know Christ, those who have never come into the family of God... It's a lot easier for them to sin than for a non-believer. I was having a conversation. I can't remember who exactly I was talking to the other day about the ease of sinning. Who was I talking to? I can't remember. Sorry if you're in here. I when, I was a, when I wasn't a believer, sinning for me was no big deal. It was easy to do. I was, I was really good at sinning. I could hide it very well. Uh, I could keep hiding it, and I would, it would never come out, you know, at least not that I knew of. And if it did, I'd be like, whatever, keep on doing it or find something else to do. I didn't care, right? I was a good sinner. But now that I've come to know God, it, it's not like that I don't sin anymore. It's just now I really stink at it. I'm really a terrible sinner. I still sin, but I'm terrible at it because every time I do a little sin, it's like, oh, Lord, what's going on? I got I to get out of here. I got to call my brother. I got to. Do you like that? Are you like that? How easy is it for you to sin? Do you sin? You just, ah, no big deal. Ah. Nobody told me when I became a believer that the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost would haunt me. It's true. He's, he's always there. He never leaves me alone. I can't do anything without him getting on my back about it. 
He will never leave me alone. Praise the Lord. Because if I was left to my own devices, gone. Which is what the doctrine is talking about, about the security of the believer. If you believe there's no security of the believer and that Christ doesn't hold you, then what do you believe? You believe that he brought you into this life and said, all right now, pony up, boy. Get it right. Are you going to be gone? Are you held by your own strength? So he knows that we're weak, that we're weak. He is speaking and working in us and on us. The, the scripture keeps on. We know that uh, <clears throat> for those who love God, all things are working together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Now listen to this right here. Now this is this has tripped a lot of people up, okay? And we could go really, really, really deep here, but I just want to touch on a surface level thing here. I want to show you something. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Now, there's a lot of doctrine there, but I, want to, I just want to point out one thing. He says, for those he foreknew, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Now, if I had the board, I would write all this stuff on there, but he said this. He said, these guys are weak, right? He understands we're weak. Uh, it, we have problems in our life that we can't make heads or tails of. We don't even know how to pray. We think that everything is out to get us. Therefore, we think God is out to get us, even those who are children of God. How many of those of you in here who love Jesus, you've been saved, you've been born again, but you still think God's out to get you? You still think God has it out for you and that he will make you pay. But see, God, his word tells us that he knows we don't even know how to pray. So he's speaking on our behalf. All the things that are happening to you in your life, there is nothing in God that he would tempt you. Now, discipline may come, but even the discipline is for what? It's for bringing you to where you need to be. It's good for you. You need it. Do you beat your child? Because no reason, right? Do you discipline him for no reason? I hope not. Do you just spank him or put him in time out? Or just, do, what, do, you, do you discipline however you discipline? No matter what it is, do you do it for no reason? Or do you do it because you're watching out for them? Because you're looking to protect them? Because you're looking to lead them? You see, the Bible tells us that God knows we're weak and he's working in our weakness, speaking on our behalf because we don't know to. We're like little children. We don't even know what to ask for. So he's working on our behalf. He's working in us. He is doing what we need him to do. And he is using all of these situations in our life to work them together for the greater good. Now, all of this, he says, for. Now, right there in verse 20. My page got flipped. Hold on. Right there in verse 29, he says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Now, it says that he is working all things together for the greater good who love him and are called according to his purpose for or because. That three-letter word is huge. He's working all things together for the greater good because, for, this is the reason, 
For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Everything that's going on in your life, all the falls, all the trips, all the times that he let you lose your job, or he brought a sickness, or he knocked you on your face, or he slowed you down, or whatever happened, all of those times he foreknew and he predestined, he brought it about so that you would be conformed to the image of the son. Now you say, what does this have to do with once saved, always saved, or the security of the believer? Here's how it has to do with that. Many of you, many of us, when we fall, when we slip up, when we have a hardship in our life, We take it as a sign that God is no longer with us. We take it as an indication or an evidence that God no longer loves us, that we're no longer part of his family. And you say, I don't think that way. Are you sure? How many times has something bad happened in your life and you said, why is God doing this to me? You lose a job or someone hurts you or you fall into sin or whatever and you say, why is God doing this to me? Why is God being harsh with me? In other words, why does God not love me? Why is he not showing love for me? When the whole time, if you're a true child of God, this was the means by which God was showing his love. You tripped up and busted your mouth. God stuck his leg out because you were heading for the train. Have you ever thought that the Lord allowed you to fall into that so that you might be equipped to help the next person who was about to fall into that? Have you ever thought that the Lord didn't save you so that you could be used to save someone else. Would you say that that would be being conformed to the image of the son who wasn't saved so that you could be saved? Does that make sense? My wife's looking at me like that doesn't make sense. And I'm not talking about eternal salvation. That was, the, that was the key. Maybe the Lord didn't spare you from that hardship. Is that better? Maybe the Lord didn't spare you from that hardship. Maybe he didn't hold back some wrath or he didn't hold back a trial. He didn't hold back some pain in order to save or keep someone else from going through that pain. And the crazy thing is, is that he knew all of this. I have people literally ask me, they say, you believe in that predestination stuff? I don't know, I just read the Bible. Well, whatever you believe about the predestination stuff, whatever you believe about, you got to believe something about it. That's all I'm saying. It's in the Bible. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Now, there's a whole big idea wrapped up in the word eternity, Okay. I want to I talk about that a little bit. I think this might be the best place to do that. And we'll get to, we'll get to the rest of this next week. Because I want to show you something here. 
It goes on, it says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Now, in order to have a secondborn, you gotta have a in order to have a secondborn, you gotta have a you gotta have a firstborn. You see, he is putting you through these trials or allowing you whatever language you want to use. He is allowing you to go through these trials. He is allowing these, this, this circumstances, this, this, this sequence of events. He is allowing this to happen because he is building his kingdom. He is doing a greater work. You see, Jesus Christ is the firstborn among many. And when he is the firstborn among many, then he has to be the firstborn in order that the second would come in. And the third, and the fourth, and the fifth. Now, does God not have the right... Does God not have the right to do with his creation whatever he chooses to do with it? Now, what if he, in all of his wisdom and all of his glory, wanted to take you, Randy Whitener? What if he wanted to take you and use you as an example to the nations of what it's like to disobey God? And in doing so, you would receive pain upon, upon pain upon pain upon pain upon pain, but a thousand people would be saved because they wouldn't want to go through the pain that you went through. Does God have the right to do that? You say, but God wouldn't do that. Go ask Job if God would do that. The Bible says in all these things, Job did not sin. Do you think that it surprised the Lord when Job lost his children? You think it surprised the Lord when Job lost all of his livestock, when his houses fell in the storm, when all of his friends turned against him? Do you think it surprised God that Job was literally sitting on the ash heap clawing himself with shards of glass because he had a disease and he was throwing ashes onto his head? Do you think the Lord said, I didn't see that coming? Or do you think the Lord was holding Job together? For the end. He's not going to forsake you. These trials aren't the end of you. They are making you. They are making you into who God wants you to be. You see those who he foreknew. He also predestined. To be conformed to the image of the son. You see. You will be conformed to the image of the son. Now, you may be a harder piece of clay than somebody else. You may be a different type of metal. You know, it's not that hard to mold and shape gold. A little bit of heat, it melts and runs off. Copper, light it up, it'll melt pretty quickly. Steel, you got to lay the fire to it. You got to lay the fire to it. Some of us are hard as steel. But that fire is not necessarily the indication that you're not a believer. Many times it is the evidence that you are a believer. And that God is doing a work in you. Both to will and to work for his good pleasure. The last thing I want to say today is, and the band can actually come up is this word eternity. 
The last verse right there has that word predestined in it again. And the word predestined, predestination bothers a lot of people. I love it. Because I know that it, it, it holds me. Outside of anything good or bad that I do. You see, you're not, you're not a child of God because you were good enough. You're not, not a child enough because you wasn't good enough. You see, God has this whole thing figured out. And those who love Him, they can come. They'll be saved. They'll be secure. They'll be safe. And all the people have the opportunity. Right there it is. Every one of you under the sound of my voice will not be able to look at God and say, well, you didn't do anything. That's a lie. He is crying out to you right now through the mouth of his servant. Yes, that servant is broken. Yes, that servant is a sinner. But that servant doesn't speak on his own behalf. I speak of one who is not weak. I speak of one who is not a sinner, one who in all things was tempted just like we were but never did sin. I speak of one who is perfect in every way and sacrificed himself that you might be saved. You see, he says there, and those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, <coughs> he also glorified. You see, in this idea of the word eternal, the word eternal in and of itself, speaking of eternal life, the word eternal in and of itself means that it has no beginning and it has no end. So by definition, if Jesus Christ says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. In the very word eternal is wrapped up the idea that it goes on forever. It's not temporary. It's not conditional. It's not if you continue in God's work. It's not if you do the right thing. If you make the right decisions if you live long enough without sin it's not conditional the very word eternal wrapped up in it is the idea that it goes on forever and we don't have time to get into this today but I want to tell you right now child of God you can rest easy. You can breathe. You don't have a free card to sin. But you do have assurance that God will not leave you and he will not forsake you. As a matter of fact, he predestined you long before. We can go to Ephesians chapter 1. For we have been predestined before the very foundations of the world. I didn't make it up. I just read it. You had life then. You have life now. And you will have life forevermore. You see, he carries that thought all the way out here. Listen to what the Word of God says. For when you fall, man of God, 
For when you fall, woman of God, child of God, don't sit and revel and say, well, he's got me. No, you get up because he's got you. He had you then, he's got you now, and he'll always have you. Listen to what he says. And though those whom he predestined, you see, even if you were a thought, you see, did God begin? Did God begin? No, God's always been, correct? So if you, Chris Farmer, was always, if you were always named in God's mind, and he knew from the very beginning that she would be a child of God, has she always been a child of God? You've always been a child of God. It might not have been realized till the day that you were born, but you were always a child of God. Because God never makes mistakes. God knew you. He knit you together in your mother's womb. And even before you was in the womb, He knew you. You see, the very word eternal means that God knew. Just He knew you. He made you on purpose. Did you know that? He made you on purpose because He knew the plans that He had for you. He knew what type of life that you would have and the things that He was going. He's going to do amazing things through you. He knew you before you were ever born. Before you were ever a thought in anybody's mind, he knew you. We were predestined, we were predestined before the foundations of the world. But see, not only that, he also called you. Those whom he predestined, he also called. You see, he knew that you were going to be a child of God. He knew that you were going to love him. He knew that you were going to lay down your life for him and that you were not going to turn back. And he called to you. He said, come, now is the time. Now is the time. You see, he knew then, and he's calling, and then he justified. So you were a child of God who came to the call and was justified and washed clean, and your birth was realized. You came out crying. You see, and he justifies you through all of your life. You see, when Jesus Christ was hanging on that cross, what was playing through his mind was all of your sins that you would commit today, yesterday, and forever. He knew what you would do. He knew the fall that you would take. He knew the trial that you would have. He knew the sin that was in your life. And he looked it in the face and he said, yes, I'll stay. Yes, I'll stay. But you know he's going to, I'll stay. But she's, she's going to turn. No, I'll stay. If he was ever going to leave you, he would have never come to you. Amen. If he was ever going to leave you, he would have never come to you. Those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he will also glorify. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. You see, oh man, have you ever even thought about that? I never even thought about it in those terms. You see, you were predestined before the foundations of the world. God knew you were coming, and when it was your time, He called you out from the darkness. And when you came out from the darkness, He washed you clean. He justified you. Through His blood, He justified you. And then He carried you. And in the end, He won't lose you, but He will glorify you. Why? Because if we suffer with Him, we will also be glorified with him. 
as we all stand to our feet, I want to tell you something right now, church. We'll continue this next week because there's more scripture that even more definitely evidences the fact that once you're a child of God, you can never lose your salvation. You will fall, you will fail, you will wander, and you will stray. But a true child of God will always come back because his sheep hear his voice and they know his voice and they come to him. I want to ask you today, have you have you fallen? Have you wondered if God still loves you? Have you questioned your salvation? Have you, have you turned your back on God because you thought he turned his back on you? What's your relationship like right now with God? I know in my own life when, when I allow sin to creep in, when I take my eyes off of Christ and, and I take a tumble and I fall, sometimes, sometimes I think my God is so disappointed in me that I just can't go back. I think that. I really do. You thought, sometimes I think that. Sometimes I'm just, is this a place where it's okay to not be okay? Sometimes I'm going to tell you right now, your preacher thinks that I might just need to hang up preaching. Any other preacher that told you different is a liar. Because I'm going to tell you, it's hard. It's really hard. Not the fit, no, it's hard to come in here and stand up here and preach against sin. Preach against the world when I know that I failed. And that I have things in my life, whether it's thoughts or actions or sins of omission, whatever it is, we're all sinners. The Bible says... The one that says he has no sin makes God out to be a liar. Sometimes I think I'm just, I'm not good enough to be up here. Sometimes I think I'm not good enough to even call myself a Christian. Sometimes I think I might just need to sit down and shut up. But then the Lord speaks. The Lord speaks and he says, Brennan, be careful to not think too much of yourself. Brennan, be careful not to think that you're the one and your righteousness that's building my kingdom. Be careful to think that your sin is so great that my blood didn't cover it. Be careful lest you think you are so amazing that you're unforgivable. Do you feel unforgivable today? Why? You don't think Jesus was enough? You think God's love fails? God's love never fails. Jesus' blood never fails. but it is good and it is sufficient to wash away all of our sins past, present, and future. For those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Child of God, it is finished.
I open for invitation now if you want to come and do business with the Lord. Maybe you feel as if your sin is overwhelming and unforgivable. I don't know where you are. Maybe you've walked away because of that and you've not been very passionate for the Lord. Maybe Satan has been whispering to you that you can't come back. I don't know what it is. But you rest today. Maybe you're not truly a child of God. Because a tree will be known by the fruit that it bears. And I told you, there's a difference between the security of the believer and the assurance of salvation. I don't tell you this to give you false hope. Because it's, it's a very real possibility that you never knew the love of God. It's a very real possibility that you're not a true child of God and you never did know Him and you were playing games and you were playing religion. Maybe today you need to get right with the Lord. Whatever you need to do, you get it right today. And trust the Lord in all situations and in all circumstances because He's trustworthy. Come, do what God is calling you to do.